church. And uh, we are wrapping up uh, our series, Once Upon a Marriage, right? And if you've been hanging in with us uh, during this uh, series, you hopefully have gotten one of the basic understandings uh, as we look at biblical marriages, right? That, uh, well, hey, biblical marriages expose to us the reality uh, that hey, marriages can get uh, messy, right? I mean, every one of these marriages that we've looked at each week, uh, you know, it's broken people. And so those marriages simply get uh, messy. And you can tell from the, the, the clip today, the intro clip today, uh, our couple today is absolutely uh, no different. Uh, we're going to look at Hosea, the prophet, uh, and his wife, uh, Gomer. And Hosea was a prophet uh, to the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. While Isaiah was prophet down to the southern, Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. And if we go to the book of Hosea, uh, we're going to see right away that, that there's a couple things going on as God is working in Hosea's uh, life. Uh, you can see in Hosea 1, second verse, right? So right away in the second verse of his book, it says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel. So who is the Lord speaking to? Israel, right? And it may have surprised you there because you, well, wait, I thought it was about Hosea. Well, no, what we're going to see is that in, in the book of Hosea and in this relationship between Hosea and his wife, uh, Gomer, uh, there, there's really kind of two things going on. There's kind of two levels uh, that are taking place. Uh, on one level, uh, we have the relationship of Hosea uh, to his wife, uh, Gomer, right? Great name, by the way, right? Any, any Gomers out there? Yeah, I okay, I didn't think so. Don't offend anybody, but whoa. Okay, anyway, uh, so we got this relationship between Hosea uh, and his wife, uh, Gomer, and, and we're going to learn from that. We're going to see as their life unfolds, right, what, what, they, what they can teach us. But there's a, the second kind of second layer, second level of stuff going on, uh, and that is that the relationship between Hosea and Gomer become an illustration for the relationship between God and his people. Uh, in the book of Hosea, as it is in our lives, there is this intimate connection between how we live our lives, how we do, for instance, our marriages, and, and the spiritual experience of how God works in our life and the witness that we make through our life. And, and somehow we think a lot of times we can just kind of separate the two, and, and that just doesn't happen, right? That even though we look in, in Hosea, in the book of Hosea, and we see kind of these two levels going on, they are intimately intertwined. This is simply the life of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And what happens in their life is going to be an illustration of what happens between God and his people. It's all captured right here in Hosea 1-2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, the prophet, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. So what do we learn right away about Gomer? Well, Gomer comes with baggage, right? Gomer comes with baggage. Now, Hosea comes with baggage, too. Let's be fair and honest. We learned that in the last series, right? We all come to marriage uh, with baggage. But it's obvious in this particular relationship that Gomer comes with some pretty significant uh, baggage. He says, go and marry a prostitute. 
so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And right there in the second verse, we get a foreshadowing, we get a hint of what, a, what, what the main issue is going to be through Hosea and Gomer's marriage as well as through the whole illustration of God and his people. And at the core of all of this relationship is the question of unfaithfulness. The question of unfaithfulness. He says this will illustrate, so the bigger picture again, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like the prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping uh, other gods. So we got Hosea. He follows the command of the Lord. He marries Gomer, and they set up house, and things start out really good. Things are going well. They get married, and all of a sudden she conceives and bears a son, uh, and then she conceives and bears a daughter, and then she conceives and bears another son. And they're like, you know, living in the suburbs, and, uh, you know, Jose is mowing the lawn uh, every weekend and got the white picket fence, and everything seems to be hunky-dory going good. But we get a hint inside, right, even though things look really great on the outside, we get a hint that on the inside there still is this ongoing difficulty of unfaithfulness. The hint comes in what God tells Hosea to name his children, right? So he has three kids. You can go look at it. The first two get parallel names, saying kind of the same thing. I'm only going to give you the third name, right? So the third son is born, um, and it says, name him Lo-Am-I. That's how you say it. That's absolutely correct. Lo-Am-I. Name him Lo-Am-I. And it means not my people. What is still going on in Hosea and Gomer's life. What is still at risk? It is that central risk of unfaithfulness. Not my people, right? Don't belong to me. Not my people. Unfaithfulness. Well, what this leads us to is we look at Hosea and we look at Gomer and we look at, at this whole book of Hosea. There is a, a, just a straightforward observation that we need to make as Christ followers. And that is, as we live in this broken world, our marriages are always at risk, especially around unfaithfulness. Now, that's just a hard, simple truth that we, we got to come to grips with, right? That, that because we live in a broken world, as did Homer and, or Hosea and Gomer, uh, put them together, as uh, did Hosea and Gomer, right, live in a real, real world like ours, right, broken world, that th there was this constant risk and pressure in their relationship and their marriage toward unfaithfulness. And that is still true. That, that is just the reality of our broken world, right? Um, if you watch TV today, what is the norm? What is portrayed as the norm? Well, there's a broad acceptance of simple unfaithfulness, right? The reality is that our world has this constant pressure to try to divert us, and not just sexual unfaithfulness, but just unfaithfulness in all kinds of ways. And so for Hosea and for Gomer, right, we get that Gomer uh, falls into unfaithfulness 
uh, in a sexual way. And it says, their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. The Bible's way of saying that she had an affair, right? She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen and for olive oil and drink. What does Gomer get captured by? The lifestyle and the things of this world. And so she is drawn into unfaithfulness. Now, Hosea is complicit in this experience as well in that Hosea is out there being Mr. Prophet, right? And, and in being Mr. Prophet is neglecting his home. He's neglecting his spouse. And when we do that, we just need to know our marriages are always under pressure and at risk for unfaithfulness. It is part of the reality of a broken world. The Bible warns us about this. You go to 1 Peter, and he just gives us a warning about this temptation stuff that just exists in this broken world. He says, dear friends, I warn you. See, it's a warning. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war. Notice he even elevates it to that level, right? That wage war uh, against your very souls. And so his advice is what? Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Don't take your spouse for granted. Be careful. Don't take your marriage for granted. Be careful. Don't assume that you're above the temptation of unfaithfulness. Be careful. So how do we be careful? Well, the Bible's answer to that is to build walls. Build a wall, right? No, don't break into a chant right now, right? I know out in our culture there's a big debate about building a wall, right? Not doing that, not getting into that, right? What, what I am trying to get into, though, is to convince you to understand that when it comes to this wall, When it comes to the wall you need to build around your home and around your marriage, this is not a debatable. This is not up for the democratic process. This is something, if you're a Christ follower and you're in a Christ-centered marriage, this is something you simply must do. You must do this. You must build walls of protection around your marriage relationship. We see how important that is when we go to the book of Job, right? We go to the book of Job, and there is Satan out there trying to get into Job's life, trying to tempt Job over and over again, right? Trying to get him to be unfaithful in some way to God, right? He just keeps coming at him, coming at him, coming at him, and nothing is working. And so he goes to God, the Satan goes to God and says, God, I can't get a Job. Nothing is working. I keep trying. I can't get at this guy. And why can't I get, can't, why am I not successful in getting him and luring him into unfaithfulness of some sort? The answer is in verse 10. Because you have always put what? A wall of protection around him. Now notice around him and his home and his property. As long as that wall of protection was around Job, his marriage, 
His family, his career prospered. When that wall was removed, his life entered destruction. You must build walls of protection into your marriage relationship and into your home. You must. Now, what kind of walls? I'm going to suggest this morning that at the minimum, you need to build three walls of protection into your marriage relationship. Now, if you're not married yet, maybe you're in a significant relationship. You're you're kind of wondering, maybe this could be a marriage relationship. This still applies. You've got to build these walls of protection. Maybe you're not in a relationship, but somewhere you feel like someday marriage might be there for you, right? Even as a single person, you need to understand these walls and get ready to build these walls into the next relationship that you have. These are significant, important walls that you've got to build into your life, right? You ready to go? I'm ready to go, so I'll take that as a yes. Okay, here we go, right? One, you need to build a technology wall, right? Technology is awesome. It's great. It's a great gift. It's fantastic, but it comes with a huge risk, huge risk. In 2017, uh, people spent $4.6 billion, that's with a B, $4.6 billion hours watching pornography on one site. Just one site encompassed 4.6 billion hours of viewing time. In our culture today, as broken as it is, by the age of 11, most young people have been exposed to significant sexual content. For all of those young people under the age of 18, 22% of them have been exposed to graphic, significant pornographic content and have been engaged in that content by the age, any guess? 10. Build a wall. This is dangerous stuff. It is destructive. It will destroy. Build a wall. Go out there and get the technology you need to get. Get it on your computer. Get it on your TV. Get it on your phone. Whatever you need to do to make sure your kids and you and your spouse can't get to that content. Do not take the risk. Build the wall. Take this stuff serious. Understand that you need to get an accountability partner. You need to get somebody who holds you accountable to make sure you don't begin walking down that path. Build a wall. And if somehow that stuff has already got a way into your life, it's somehow already got its hooks into you, you need to know that Christ can set you free from that. God forgives you for that. God has a future for you. And you just need to step out of that and step into building the wall. Build the wall and protect your marriage from that unfaithfulness because it's real and it's destructive. Two, 
build relational walls, right? Build healthy walls around your marriage as you relate to people of the opposite sex. Sit down with your spouse. Come to some common agreements of of how you're going to relate to people outside of your marriage, in particular those of the opposite sex. For instance, make an agreement that you will not meet privately in a private room, at a private time, you will not meet privately with another person of the opposite sex. If you're going to have to meet with somebody of the opposite sex, you meet them in the busiest, most active coffee shop you can find. You never meet with them privately. Make that covenant. Make that agreement. Build that wall. Understand for the two of you how important it is that you put into place these principles in your marriage relationship to ensure faithfulness. Third thing, build a spiritual wall, right? This, this is the positive wall. Build that spiritual wall where you and your spouse grow together in Christ, right? Pray for each other. Pray with each other. Get in the Word together. Get in a small group together. And make sure above all else you worship side by side on Sunday morning. I mean, I can tell you, I'm a married guy, and every Sunday almost I'm up here on the platform. And I really miss not being able to worship side by side with my wife. When we go on vacation, people say, Pastor, hey, you got a Sunday off. That's awesome. No, we are in worship every time when we go on vacation. We are in worship because the only time we can sit by each other and worship together. Don't miss the gift that you have. Now, I'm not complaining. I love what I do, right? I'm going to keep doing it. I love what I do. But I want you to understand, worship together. Get the gift. Value what that is as you can worship pray and be encouraged together in the word. Build a spiritual wall around your marriage. These things are so important to us. The Bible takes totally seriously the threat this is to our marriages, especially around the temptations of sexuality in our culture, right? That sexual sin in our culture. You can see here Paul in Corinthians, right? Just notice the first phrase there, ending with an exclamation point, right? He says, run from sexual sin, right? He's not saying, well, you know, if you're uncomfortable, maybe you should think about kind of pulling back. No, what's his answer? Run! Get out! Just move away! Get out of Dodge! Get away from that stuff! Run! Take seriously the temptation that's there. See, here's a simple adage uh, that I have found always to be true. You ready? If the grass is looking greener on the other side of the fence, the septic system over there is probably broke. Right? Because that's what happens to us. We, 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 get, we, get, you know, we get these glances going, and we get nice conversations going, and, and then we start saying, wow, they really listen to me, and boy, they really care for me, and they admire me, and they make me feel good. And, and then we start spending time together, and, and somehow we think, well, boy, that person is just really fantastic, and my spouse. <sighs> no, that person is broken, the evidence of their brokenness is that they're seriously, romantically flirting and engaging with you, and you're a married person. They're broken. 
And when you would get to know them, you would find out how much their life smells. It's not greener. The grass may look greener, but when you get over there, you're going to find out it stinks. We need to build these walls of protection. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, Paul says, listen, this is how serious it is. Among you, if you're a Christ follower, right? Among you, there must not be even what? Even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. The smallest glance, the littlest flirt, the dirtiest joke, nothing. Not even the smallest hint. Because all that does is plant the seed of opportunity to go further and further into the likelihood of unfaithfulness. Now, for some of you out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you may be engaged in some of that in your life right now. And I want to just encourage you, let the Holy Spirit convict you today and bring it to a stop. Understand what's going on and let the Holy Spirit convict you and just bring it to a halt and turn your attention away. Turn your attention back to your spouse. Malachi said, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So do what? So guard your heart. So build these walls. Guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife or the husband of your youth. Here's the sequel to the adage. If the grass is looking greener on the other side of the fence, what is it time to do? Start watering your own lawn. If that stuff's going on in your life, you're feeling those temptations, run. Where do you run? Run to your spouse. Start focusing on your spouse and start building your marriage. Build those walls. Start focusing on one another. Do the things you need to do to encourage, strengthen one another. Build that spiritual wall so that your bond together is greater, stronger, and tighter than the temptations of the world. Now, the difficulty for us is that because we live in a broken world, the reality is sometimes those walls even break down. And sometimes, even in the best of intentions, our marriage relationships break up. They asked uh, Jesus about that. Some Pharisees asked Jesus about that. Well, how come Moses said that we could go ahead and experience divorce? And Jesus answers the question. He says, look at verse 8. Jesus replied saying, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. This is the truth. In our broken world, sometimes we just can't find our way through to survive in our marriage. A concession, a reality. If that's been your life, if you've been through the pain, the disappointment, the struggle of your marriage being destroyed, I want you to know God loves you. He's never changed his love for you, his attitude towards you. He forgives you, and he has a future for you. Even when we are unfaithful, 
God is absolutely faithful. For some of you, you may be in a relationship where you and your spouse just aren't seeing eye to eye or your spouse continues to practice unfaithfulness in one way or another and they just won't give up on it. They're just there and even though you're a Christ follower and you keep forgiving and trying and forgiving and trying, they are just not moving in your direction. Paul says to the Corinthians, but if the husband or the wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Sometimes the behavior of our spouse is such that we just need to treat them as an unbeliever. And the only way they're going to recover is if they face it and they deal with Christ first. Paul says, listen, if you're trapped in that relationship, maybe that's the only way out. Maybe that's the only recourse for their eternal destiny is you try to make them face Christ in the process. What it means for us is that ultimately what we have to learn to do in any case is practice forgiveness. Hosea and Gomer. Hosea and Gomer. Gomer has practiced unfaithfulness. God comes to Hosea And he goes to Hosea and he says, go and love your wife again. Even though, get that? Even though she commits adultery with another lover. He calls Hosea to practice the same kind of forgiveness and unconditional love that God has already practiced towards Hosea himself. And that is a call. That is a call on our life, on our marriages, that in the midst of the brokenness and the mess that our marriages become, that we seek to imitate God and practice that same kind of incredible, unconditional love and forgiveness, that we take the pain and the sacrifice and we forgive. Either way, wherever you are in the experiences that I just described, whether divorce has happened in your life, whether you have a spouse who's struggling with some kind of unfaithfulness, uh, or whether, you know, you've had a spouse who's been unfaithful and you're trying to forgive, the answer is always the same. God's forgiveness. When we are unfaithful, God is always faithful. Jesus was with his disciples, and they were at that table, and... uh, there was a guy at the table with them. His name was Judas. And he was about to be extraordinarily unfaithful. And yet Jesus practiced forgiveness. Even knowing the outcome of his own death, he practiced forgiveness. And when we come to the table, he does the same same thing. Whatever your brokenness is, whatever you got going on in your marriage, your life, your temptation your unfaithfulness. God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And so he comes to Hosea and he comes to Gomer and he says to him, plant the good seeds of righteousness. Plant the good seeds of what's right according to God. Right? Not the world. Not what everybody else tells you. Just plant the good seeds in your marriage and in your relationships according to the righteousness, the rightness of God's wisdom and God's understanding. 
and you will harvest what? A crop of good stuff? Good stuff. You'll harvest a crop of love. But what do you have to do? Well, you've got to plow up the hard ground of your hearts. You've got to do some self-examination. You've got to have some serious conversations in your marriage. You've got to plow that ground of difficulty to be able to build those walls, protect your marriage, protect your relationships, protect your kids. Do the hard plowing of building those walls of protection. For now is the time to seek the Lord. And that's the final word. God is always faithful, even though we are unfaithful. And no matter where you've been or what your marriage has been or not been, God is still faithful. And he can help you build those walls and build that marriage that he chooses and desires for you. Let's pray. Father, we're just going to pray today uh, as we bring this series to close uh, over uh, all those marriages out there. Um, We know there's some that are flourishing, and we know there's some that are struggling and hurting. Whatever the case, Lord, we are going to commit them to you and ask that we could plow the hard ground and that we could build those walls of faithfulness. We know, Lord, that you are always, always faithful to us. And so whether we're married or whether we're single, whether we're in a relationship or not, Lord, we know your love for us is constant, and you lay out a path for us to do it righteously, to do it right. So open up our eyes. Soften our hearts. Help us to step into what you desire to plant those seeds of righteousness so that we can experience the harvest of incredible love. As broken people, we commit ourselves and our relationships to you. In Jesus' name, amen.
We come into this room each week as broken people and we get that incredible invitation to come to the table just as we are because we have a God who is incredibly faithful even when we're not and he offers us the opportunity to bring all of that brokenness to this place to be able to give it to him so he can forgive it wash us clean make us his own Give us his spirit. Infuse us with a strength to be new and different, to invest our lives in one another and in advancing the cause and the gospel of Christ. If you want your life to change today, Jesus is here to do just that. He's here to forgive, to renew, to strengthen, and to open up your future. He came into the world. He invaded the world. He gathered at table with his disciples.